In John chapter 16 and verse number 7, Jesus is speaking, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now watch this, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, and for His glory, teach us the Holy Spirit. Teach our souls. Lord, by faith we renounce all of our denominational predispositions. We will not cling to old religious wineskins. We want new wine, flowing wine, the best wine. We ask You, Holy Spirit, to take the Word that You inspired from all the passages we're going to read and teach us. Be the teacher. Do not leave it in the realm of theory, for once You have taught us, we want to walk in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church says, Amen, Amen. You can be seated. By the time we get to John 16, Jesus has been pouring in at a really high rate a lot of important things into His disciples because He's about to die. Jesus is saying goodbye in these chapters. And the the unseeking eye will breeze through chapter 14, 15, and 16, and though you'll rejoice in so much that Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, you'll miss out on the fact that He's taking these last teaching sessions with His disciples, and He's teaching them over and over again the Holy Spirit, 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 the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was getting ready to exit earth through His suffering on the cross, through His atoning death, when He was about to pay the price for all of our sins, and knowing that He had just a short time prior to the cross to pour into His disciples, He's preparing them for His transition out of the world. And naturally, He's already told them in chapter 14, you're sad because I'm telling you that I'm leaving. And then He's going to tell them, but I'm not going to leave you like orphans, because when I go, I'm going to send another to come in my place and to do exactly what I've been doing with you, but it's going to be different. Because when I leave you, now watch this, think of the enormity of this, Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm leaving you, and that's the best thing that could happen to you. The best thing that Jesus could, could offer them at this point was His vacancy, His moving off of earth. And the reason why He said it was so advantageous to them is that because when He left the world, He was going to send the Holy Spirit to do all of the things and more than He was doing Himself while He was on earth. So Jesus wanted them to know, I don't want you to despair, I don't want you to fear, I don't want you to quit, and I don't want you to be confused, because I'm going to leave this world, and then you're going to go into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there for a little bit, and when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, that's when things begin. Now here we are 2,000 years later, and much of the body of Christ is living in some level of ignorance about the person 
and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just cessationists that have their ignorant spots, those that don't believe in the gifts. I believe there's an incredible amount of ignorance ranging from the hyper-charismatic to the hyper-cessationist, the one who thinks God doesn't do anything anymore and the one that thinks anything goes. I think in the midst there's a lot of ignorance. So what do we do as believers when we want to nail on the cross our ignorance and we want to begin to walk in revelation? We want to begin to walk in truth. We want to begin to walk in spirit. Well, what we do is we do what we must do with all things. We turn to the Word of God because it's His book. And if you want to know what God thinks, how God is, what God does, how God speaks, you move to the source. You let God tell you about Himself. And so what we're going to do is going to be today almost more like a a kind of a sword drill. I'm going to take you through so many passages of Scripture that it's one of the rare times I'm just going to tell you, watch the screens because you're not going to be able to turn there enough uh, in your own Bible. And so I'm going to give you four areas, four main areas where the Holy Spirit is working today. He's working this way in every believer's life. He's working this way in every region. He's working this way in every single church. He's working this way right now here this morning. And depending on where you are in your relationship with the Lord, you may need a strong touch of God in one or more of these areas where He works in your life and mine. If you are into acrostics, if you want to know how to memorize these, I'll give you the word Peru. The word Peru for my amigos Latinos. The word is Peru, P-E-R-U. These are the four ways. He is working in purifying. He is working in empowering. He is working in revealing. And He is working in uniting. P-E-R-U, purifying, empowering, revealing, and unifying. And let's go through these today and let's find out, God, where do you want to do surgery on me? Lord, is it in the area of purifying me? Holy Spirit, I welcome that. Is it in the area of empowering me? Lord, I'm tired of living in the dust of my own strength. Is it in the, in the area of revealing? Lord, teach me. I, I'm living in ignorance. Or is it in the area of unifying? Lord, make me one with the person sitting next to me. And so let's go through these this morning. The Holy Spirit purifies, plain and simple. He is the Holy Spirit. Will you say that with me? Holy Spirit. Let's do it again. Holy Spirit. I love what we sang this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, was, and is, and is to come. He's the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some verses. He makes holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul is writing to a church that is carnal as can be, and he says, such were some of you, but, but, You are washed. You are sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the agency of the washing, sanctifying, and justifying. It is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who washes us, who sanctifies us, who justifies us before the Lord. He is the agent by which all of this is done on your behalf. This is what we know as positional truth. And it's true about every single believer, no matter where you are in your journey right now. Jesus Christ came and paid the price. Jesus Christ offered everything unto the Father by which we can stand before the Father absolutely holy and absolutely clean. I want you to erase from your mind the idea of being put on probation by God. Probation is a miserable thing. I wish I could tell you that I know that only in theory. Unfortunately, I know it by practice. When you're on probation, you better toe the line. You better dot all the I's and cross all the T's because one misstep and boom, they revoke you and you're back where they found you in the first place. That's not what God does. God doesn't probate anybody. God pardons You see, when you're pardoned, the highest law of the land says, you may have done what you've done, and you did do what you did, but I pardon you, I set you free, I emancipate you, and that's what salvation is. Salvation is God's justification of the sinner because he has believed on the one who is sinless. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes that effective in our lives. You say, well, Jeff, how does that work? I don't know exactly the dynamics of it, but it's very simple in the Bible. It says it's done by the Spirit of God. Titus chapter number 3, verse 4, 5, and 6, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here you have again the washing, the cleansing, but beyond just some idea of an exterior washing and a removal of filth, you have this idea, this concept, this theology of being reborn, of being a new creation in Christ. So thorough is the cleansing and the purifying that the Holy Spirit affects in our lives when we come to Christ that you are literally no longer who you used to be. You might look the same, you might even have some of the same tendencies or leanings or propensities, but the way God looks at you is say, that person that was dead has been buried, and this person, my son or my daughter, has been raised anew in the life of Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit who brings that regenerating work, and then it goes on. It's not just a one-time deal, it's a constant renewal. The washing the regenerating and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He purifies. You say, well, Jeff, I, I've been saved a minute, and I, I don't know if I feel all of that happening. Well, good. Galatians 5.5 5 is meant to encourage us. Look at it. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Uh, I, I love being around people that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. There's two reasons why. Because there is this sense of their inner struggle that is a holy thing. It doesn't make them comfortable, but they, they, they tend to think, oh, I want to be holy, I want to be holy, and don't we all want to be holy? But because they recognize that they fall short of the glory of God. They think things, they see things, they do things that the Lord isn't pleased with, and so automatically they say, oh, but I'm not righteous. Oh, but I'm not holy. Oh, this besetting sin, this struggling mark on me, this, this repetitive weakness in me. Oh, God, how do you deal with me? And this Galatians 5.5 5 tells us that part of the working of righteousness that the Holy Spirit is performing is not simply a one and done thing. That is done positionally. But by faith, you have to work, the, work out the reality that what he's done positionally has to enter into a process. You've got a positional purification, but you also have a progressive purification. That means as we walk in the Lord, we have to wait for that hope of full, perfect righteousness by faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here we have again the reality that God is working in us. And the agency by which He does it, it is, listen, I don't want to get into Trinitarian uh, quicksand here, because anytime you start trying to talk about the Trinity, you're, you're just like a half step away from heresy. But the reality is this, Jesus is on a throne in a glorified body in heaven. He, Jesus is physically, literally, the body that rose from the grave, that ascended into the air, that sat down at the right hand of God. That physical, resurrected, glorified body is the body that Jesus is in right now. If Jesus was in the room, He would be physically able to be seen and touched and heard. Jesus, strictly speaking, is not God on the earth right now. The Holy Spirit is. It is the Spirit of God who is the actuality of God on the earth. And He is the one whom we are living in and working with in order to bring about the kingdom. And so as we look at this, the Bible says that at the coming of Christ, Paul's prayer for the church at Thessalonica was that, that the God of peace Himself would sanctify them completely, and that that cleansing and purifying would involve their spirit, their soul, and their body, to the extent that all of this would be kept blameless. And then I love the footnote that Paul gives. He says, the one who started it will surely do it. I want to encourage some of you, if you're struggling with parts of you that are not yet sanctified and don't sense holiness, since strong weakness, let me just be bold here. You need the Holy Spirit. You don't need, you don't, probably don't need nine more lessons on the Holy Spirit. You need a radical encounter and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, I'm going to tell you something. Knowledge will puff you up, but it doesn't set you free. It is an encounter with the person of God. Who is God on the earth? I've already said it. The Holy Spirit. 
And so it's so interesting to me that we can live lives of ongoing defeat in areas. We're just talking and waiting for Jesus to come down. Jesus, just come on, set me free. Jesus like, I, I'm actually staying in heaven. I sent the Holy Spirit to do what you're asking me to do. Why don't you pursue the Holy Spirit? Why don't you get intimate with the Holy Spirit? Why don't you listen to the Holy Spirit? And so often in so many churches that, that's kind of a weird territory for people. Is it any wonder, by the way, that the enemy sows so much confusion about the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is God on earth and our only hope? So what does the enemy do? Instead of making him the person of God to be embraced and, and loved and obeyed and experienced, the, the enemy turns him into a doctrine to be fought over. And so many people perpetually go without him, and therefore they're not experiencing this first aspect, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 9, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about the rule keeping. But the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy in, in the Holy Spirit. So we do find out that God's actually very concerned about how we live. Righteousness in the English, the root word is right. You think of uprightness, doing the right thing, being right, right according to what? World standards? No. Right according to God's standards, which is righteousness. And it is the Holy Spirit. He is the one that brings about that kingdom reality in our lives. So I, I would tell you this you may have all the prophetic gifting in the world. You might pray in tongues, you know, five hours a day and then give four more hours of interpretation. You may have signs and wonders and visions and all of this stuff uh, ascribed to your life. But if you can't be kind to somebody, I don't want your brand of spirituality. If, if you can't be righteous, if you can't do a, a fair share of work for a fair price, if you can't, you know, seal off your lips from gossip and murmuring and innuendo and nasty jokes and, and all that, I don't, I don't want that. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit is holy and therefore we will be holy as He is holy. Now, yeah, I knew this wouldn't be as fun as last week, but that's okay. <laughs> Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what He produces. He produces joy. He produces peace. He produces patience. He produces kindness. He produces the fruit of goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things there is no law. This was also read in our prayer time this morning. Unbeknownst to the one reading it, it's in my notes. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then here we go. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And so what we've got here is we've got Paul te teaching the churches of Galatia, the law is not going to cleanse you. He's teaching that. That's the whole book of Galatians. You keep going back to the law thinking it's going to produce in you the godliness that only the Spirit can produce. And so you're literally trying to begin, you who begun in the Spirit, you're trying to perfect yourself in the flesh. And so Paul is wrecking that system of approach to God. And he's saying, if you want to be holy, and if you want these attributes of God here called the fruit of the Spirit, if you want them, if you're going to live the spiritual life, you need to walk with the Holy Spirit. That's what he says at the end. So it's not a matter, why, why am I belaboring this? Because what I want you to see in all of these four aspects, and I'm going to move on to the next one in just a moment, it's not about you learning more. I do believe in teaching. I do believe it's what I'm doing right now. But eventually you have to close your nine books on the Holy Spirit and you've got to do something called surrender. You, you can't just hide behind the perpetual decades-long ongoing of, I just need to learn a little more, I just need to learn a little more. My friend, you've got more knowledge than the vast majority of Christians did in Paul's day, and yet they were walking in the Spirit. We have to come to that place where we say, okay, I can't hide behind this incessant need for more pinpoint theology. And you know me, listen, I founded a ministry called Transforming Truth. I am all about the truth. I'm teaching you truth right now. I'm not minimizing truth. I've just seen enough of Christianity that hides behind the never-ending Bible studies and conferences, and yet they never get free. So, this purification, this purifying work of the Holy Spirit, it's positional. It's what happens at the moment of salvation. He does that. It's also progressive. That means don't give up. That's okay, man. Listen, none of, us, none of us are excited about our stumblings and our defeats and the fact that we're not who we should be yet. 
but it's a process. He is still taking you through a progression of holiness and grow with that and learn to cooperate with that and get close to him. Um, I'll I'll save some of this for later, but then, then it's the practical. It's literally, especially if you're younger, please hear me in this. You you actually have to live a holy life. (laughs) That's actually the, still the expectation of God. And it's not just about getting your Sunday vibe on. Now listen, I got mine on this morning. A little short, chubby, middle-aged guy. got my Sunday vibe on. I love it. But it means nothing if I'm not walking in holiness during the week. Some of y'all that will amen better help me and amen loud this morning because there's only like nine of you in this house. All right, let me get something a little bit more. (laughs) A little bit more um, has a bigger draw on it. Let's move to the E. Purifying, but also the Holy Spirit empowers. I think some in the building need this. You're not having a struggle with righteousness, but you're, you're struggling with what it means to walk in His power. First of all, He imparts spiritual life. The whole thing begins with the power of the Holy Spirit. Your, your salvation began with the power of the Holy Spirit. He imparts spiritual life. Jesus said this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. That is one of those dogmatic, Jesus is not asking for a move or a second or an alternative. He's saying, He says, your flesh produces nothing good in the kingdom. Nothing! And he says, it is the Spirit who gives life, not only life to us, but life through us to others. And so whereas most ministry places an inordinate amount of of attention on technique, preparation, education, finesse, philosophical, psychological, all of these other elements, Jesus, I just see him this, forgive me, I I hope this doesn't sound irreverent, I just see him there with his hands in his tunic pockets saying, y'all can keep doing that all you want, but all of that is flesh. What you need is a spirit because he's the one that's going to impart the life that you need and that you want to offer. Now, I'm not against education. I have one. If I ever finish my thesis, I'll have my graduate work done. I'm going on year four of that thing sitting on my desk. One day I may finish it. But until then, I'm going to tell you something. I would rather have an anointing than my MDiv completed. That's, I'm being honest with you. Now, if I can have both, that's great. But if I can't, I'll take the anointing. And it's the same way, whether it's music, whether it's discipleship, whether it's parenting, whether it's, whether it's anything we're being and doing in the kingdom, what we need is the Spirit, because He's the one that brings life. When our flesh touches it, to the degree that our flesh touches it, it dies. It profits nothing. But when we are walking in the Spirit, and everybody that's saved can, that's the good thing. Let me just tell you, I, I, I was a Baptist my whole Christian life. Up until we constituted Newbridge Church in April. But I just tell you, that was just a, a label. But the beauty of it is, Baptists can walk in the Holy Spirit. Hey, Methodist, you get to walk in the Holy Spirit. My Presbyterian brothers, God has ordained from before the beginning of time that you are predestined to walk in the Spirit. That ought to be comfortable for my Presbyterian friends, amen. And charismatics, listen, you can walk in the Spirit and you don't have to blow a trumpet before it. The the beauty is this, is that He gives life to who, Jeff? To all who want to experience the fullness of life through Him. He strengthens the believer. Well, let let me give you this. Jesus also said there in John 3, He's talking to Nicodemus, and you talk about a confused religious guy. Jesus said to Nicodemus, hey, Nick, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Nick, don't marvel over the fact that I just told you, you've got to be born again. Now you and I are so comfortable with the term born again, and we, re- we, we receive that in a completely spiritual context. Nicodemus was the first guy that ever heard it. And Nicodemus has a lot of letters behind his name. He was the teacher. I mean, he was, a, he was the brainiac religious guy of his day. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus like, say, what? And he even got, you know, anatomical with it. He said, I've got to go back in my mom's womb and come back out. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Nicodemus, you're not hearing me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I, I know that we always apply that to the issue of salvation. And I think that Jesus was talking about what it means to come into the kingdom. 
But I do want to say that 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 reality doesn't just stay housed only in the area of salvation. That's a principle that applies to everything that we are and all that we do in the kingdom. That it is the Spirit, that what is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And so there's a, there needs to be a born again element over everything that we do in every area of our life. That means we've got to be aware that our default leaning is to the flesh. We naturally lean towards the physical, towards the temporal, towards the, the, um, the, uh, the, the carnal, the earthly. That's our natural bent. And so the only way we come out of that natural inclination is that we have to get tight with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us out of the earthly and takes us deeply into that which is spiritual. And so, brothers and sisters, I'll go out on a limb here. For all of us in the room, you might be the most, you know, spiritually gifted person here. You may see into the other realm, you know, Monday through Saturday and just take a break on Sunday. I don't know. I don't know who you are or where you are, but I'm going to tell you, all of us need to see more deeply into the spiritual realm. And I'm talking about the realm that the Holy Spirit opens us up to. Sometimes when he ambushes our senses with the reality that he's doing things we don't understand, it can be alarming. And Jesus says, well, yeah, that's an area of your life that needs to be touched by the second birth. That's an area of an awareness that is still in the natural. So let's go further. He not only imparts spiritual life, he strengthens the believer. Here's a familiar couple of verses. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul is writing, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That's really good news. For we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm going to make you a big promise, and I don't even, I don't even have to keep this promise. I just get to declare this promise because it's not mine to keep. You already know it. As soon as I say it, it's going to resonate with you. What is it? You're going to run out of your own resources. It's going to happen. You're going to run out of them on so many different levels as you walk with the Lord. You're, you're going to run out of your mental resources. You're going to run out of your emotional resources. You're going to hit a brick wall when it comes to your circumstantial and relational resources. You may come up empty on your financial resources at times. You're going to come to a place of strengthlessness. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit says, I will help you. I will help you. I will come alongside of you because that is his name in the Greek that Jesus gave to him. The parakletos, the one who comes along beside you. In extra biblical literature it, it, it is a word that is used to define your attorney who steps up to your side when you've got nothing you can say, you can't do anything, and you've got no way to defend yourself. And the Holy Spirit says, this weak, defenseless, hemmed-in believer, let me just step right next to her and say, I'm going to help you. I'm here to help you right now, right here, right with this. I ain't going anywhere. That's the way you and I need to see the Holy Spirit. There's so many different metaphors for the Holy Spirit. You got the dove, and you got the oil, and you got the wind, and you got the water, and they're all so good. But I want you to know, though He does not have a body, He is a person. He is God, the Spirit. And God says, when you're weak and you can't even pray, why don't you let me take over? I've got some things I can do for you. So, friends, that is a joyful thing. And I, I don't think that that's limited to just praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. I do think that applies there. But it is so much more than that. Jude chapter 20 says, we're going to cooperate with the process. He said, Jude's, as a Christian, writing to Christian, he says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to ask you, because part of my, my joy as a pastor is I get to comfort you, but also get to provoke you. So let me provoke you for a minute. Do you know what it means to pray in the Spirit? Amen. I always assumed I knew what it meant to pray in the Spirit, until I started praying in the Spirit. <laughs> and friends, this is not a club you get to join. This is, I, I'm going to tell you this, I guarantee you if I continue to follow the Lord, I'll look back on this season in about five years and I'll say, yeah, that was when I thought I knew what it meant to pray in the Spirit. Why? Because you're praying in and with and through a person whose name is God. And if you think you have graduated, you have not. But you can get into the school. 
You don't have to stand on the outside truant looking through a window at everybody else in class. You can come right into it and say, Lord, I want to be built up. Matter of fact, I would go so far to say that Jude is teaching a necessary principle for being built up in your faith. What is it? You have to not just pray. I hope you have a prayer list. A prayer list. I hope you have a disciplined prayer life. I hope you have people you intercede for. That's important. But I believe that this is teaching a dynamic of prayer that you can't actually teach human to human. That it's learned by the process of surrender, faith, humbling, and welcoming God to do what God wants to do. And it is through that interaction. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, I went through at least a year and a half of praying because I was supposed to. Maybe this will encourage some of you. And this is long after I first experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 2003, early 2003. This was like a few years ago that I sensed no move of God. I sensed no real presence of God except the occasional, there, there. That's basically was my prayer life for about a year and a half. There, there, keep on crying, son. It's going to be, that's kind of the way I felt. I didn't sense any power. I didn't sense the presence of the Lord, but I never quit praying. I never stopped praying. And through that repeated presenting of my broken self to the Lord, my empty self to the Lord, my completely dried out self and overwhelmed and weakened self to the Lord, because the only faith I had was to show up and keep praying, it was somewhere along the line that God saw fit to say, now I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to move into this with you. And that's when I really, really began to see a growth in this area of praying in the Spirit. I had prayed in the Spirit before that, but it was a season where God said, you just got your grubby little handprints all over this thing. Let me just take this out of your hands completely till you get still, learn that I'm God, and then I'll get back in this thing with you. Jude said, Jeff, that'll build you up in your most holy faith. And I'll just tell you, it did. I want to encourage some of you because this can be frustrating because I'm talking about abstracts and some of you are saying, tell us what to do. And and the only thing I can tell you what to do, and it's not a small thing, I'm going to say, you keep presenting yourself to the Lord without any reservations. And until we can present ourselves to the Lord without reservations, then there is this breaking down process that we'll have to be in for a while. And, And but when we come to that place of surrender, Lord, fill me. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what. Uh, one of the biggest obstacles with me, I was like, Lord, if Amy ever fills out that I'm a spirit-filled Baptist pastor, I don't know what she's going to do. It scared the fire out of me. And then when I finally told her, she was like, I can't believe you kept that from me. <laughs> Such a great lady. Uh, the point being is that you, you just have to press into him. If that signals fear in your heart, all that is is just the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, you're actually not surrendered yet, but I'll work with you. When, when, you, when you sense this hesitation, this recoil, this uh, or this defensive skepticism that goes up when we're talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit, w- w- what you're doing is you're, you're cutting yourself out from this E, from the E of empowerment. You're saying, I, I want to do this my way. And He lets us. He actually lets us do it. There's no fruit there, but He lets us until finally we get to the point and we say, I just can't go on like this. And He says, now you're going to start cooking with gas. Here we go. Come on. So, He empowers the believer and He energizes ministry or service. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When did all that happen? Not until the Holy Spirit empowered them. But when He empowered them, it was a glorious mess. Hey, listen, if scenes where the Holy Spirit moves kind of overwhelms you, you're in good company. You go to the Acts chapter 2, man, you're going to see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the people that weren't participating in that outpouring yet were saying, man, it is too early for these rascals to be drunk. I mean, that's exactly what they said. So, and you know, I hear it all the time. It's like, well, when the Holy Spirit moves, there's not going to be any confusion. There's not. On that day, there was nothing but confusion. It's confusion to those that are on the outside of it. But for those that were participating and were in the place where God was blessing, it wasn't confusion. It was glorious praise and worship. And so, we, I mean, not in the sense of music primarily, but in the sense of witness and intercession and glorifying God. 
But the result was not an unending worship session. The result was ministry and service and witness and going to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when the church gets thunderstruck by the power of the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit begins to move not only in us but through us, this community will be changed. The church will be changed first, then the community, beyond the community, into the region, beyond the region. Who knows what God wants to do? And so what, one of the things we prayed this morning, we said, Lord, please bring down the stronghold in people's minds that believe intimacy with the Holy Spirit is a denominational option. Where people think, well, that's just not my style. What? Friends, we're not talking about style. You can have a style in music. You can have a style in clothes. You can have a style in your haircut and outward things. But when it comes to theology, we don't get to pick our own style. So, Jeff, who are you arguing with? Anybody that will argue back, amen? Come on. I'm reasoning with you. I'm just saying I know how I used to think. I know how people I've dialogued have thought about this. And, and literally the mindset for so many is, yeah, I can just live without it. I've lived that way a long time. Well, have you lived? Have we lived in a way that represents that we are people inhabited by the God of the Bible? First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in, somebody shout that word, and in the with full conviction. That verse was uh, huge for me personally. Man, I hope I can get done with this outline. The, the reality was is that I had been theologically trained. I was personally inclined, my temperament, my mind, the way I'm wired. I, I'm all about ordered truth. I love line by line, precept by precept, expository preaching. I'd take a whole book of the Bible, start in verse 1 and not stop. I think we were in uh, the book of John for like nine years or something. I mean, it was just, it, it was never ending in the book of, you know, I, and that's just the way I'm wired. I, I, I just want to go verse by verse. It's truth, it's truth, it's truth. And then I remember teaching through the book of First Thessalonians. And I remember coming to this verse, and I remember saying, oh, you know, I've, I've gotten pretty skilled and, and equipped and even see some fruit from, from bringing the Word. But I did not see any power. I didn't see power. So trapped was I in the, the little peach tree dish of the doctrine of God's sovereignty that when I would pray for a sick person, I would just mouth the words, and I was really saying, well, God will heal you if He wants to heal you. That was the extent of my full theology. Very little compassion, very little expectation. Why? No power. No, no sense that I had within me the God who literally raises the dead. And that there are times where it will be absolutely uh, normalized for me to look at a sickness or look at a disease and be offended by its presence and the grip that it has. And sometimes that stuff being a sign from the enemy himself. And you can declare health over somebody and restoration and healing over somebody. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't always have the faith to operate in that power, but that doesn't mean that that power is not always available. See, the kingdom of God. It's not in word. It's not in just us, you know, playing badminton with our favorite doctrines. You know, the ping pong artist, Bible ping pong artist. Ta, 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 ta. You hit one to me, I'll hit one back to you harder. That's what a lot of people do, and that's the kingdom of God for them. Debating doctrine, debating doctrine. Deba oh, you don't like my doctrine? Well, I'll start a new church. And then you start over there, and you got 20 people that all agree with you doctrinally. And then somebody joins. And now you got one who doesn't, and they bring another one. And say, well, y'all two don't like it? Well, we'll go, we'll go. We'll take our ping pong ball and paddle, and we'll go down here. And that's the nature of denominationalism. Nature of denominationalism is, that's my favorite flavor of Christianity. And if it's your favorite flavor of Christianity, let's do church together. I know it's good preaching. That is straight up good preaching. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little arrogant. I apologize. 
All right, let me, let me just give you this. I mean, and, and again, we're going to come back to this. I, I hope that if you don't normally attend on Wednesday nights or if you're not in the, the Bible study for men and women, starting this Wednesday, Pastor Dustin and I, are, for, an unopen, for an open-ended amount of time, we're going to take Wednesday nights to teach and release in the Holy Spirit. Because again, the kingdom of God is not in uh, the 51st sermon on the Holy Spirit. At some point, people have to be released. They have to be welcomed to step in. There is a doctrine of impartation in the New Testament. It is time, friends. There is such a safety, a presumed safety in nonstop Bible studies that actually never open the door for people to begin to experience what's just been taught. And it's so frustrating uh, for, for many. And then it, it serves as a hiding place for others who want, to, want their Christianity to rest in the realm of theory and not power. Let me tell you, the devil can out-debate you in your theology. Demons have more orthodox understanding of the Bible than you do. They don't believe it. They don't submit to it, but they know it. And so it is not inviting the enemy, whether human or spiritual, to a Bible study for a debate. Why did the demons run from Jesus? Power. Why did they flee from Paul? Power. Peter? Power. John? Power. All throughout the history of the church, it's not about just what we say. Truth is important. I'm not ab abdicating that. What I'm saying is truth without power is theory. Yes. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John theory. Action. The book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and boom, something happens. Not, not the book of theory. So, let me give you the last two. I'm, I'm actually having a good time and I'm going too long, but this, this to me I think is where uh, we are today, right here in this, in this setting. The Holy Spirit reveals. Just listen to the words of Jesus, John 14, 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. That's why we need him in a teaching setting like this. Right now, what's going on in this room, it's the same thing that happened to the young woman who called me on Thursday. The Holy Spirit taught her something in the music service that I had spent three or four years trying to teach. She never got it from me, but in a moment, in a song, in the moment of a song, she had it downloaded and it all began to make sense to her to the extent where she was telling the people around her she was so excited. What happened? Well, the teacher showed up. The teacher. He's the teacher. You need Him, yes, for your purification. You need Him because you must be empowered. But you also need Him because He reveals. He'll teach you stuff. Listen, one of the, one of the roadblocks to us growing in the Spirit is we're not teachable anymore. The older you are, the harder this is. Somebody better say amen. amen. I'm telling you, we found a truth that worked really good for us starting in 1985, and we prefer to just stay there. Don't, don't mess with, I've, I've had, Jeff, I've been in churches my whole, I've been in Baptist churches my whole life, and I never heard what you're teaching before. And I just simply say, yeah, Baptists don't teach this. I love them. I have many family and friends who have been Baptists their whole life. But this is not a doctrine that's taught in the Baptist church. Why? It's a great question, because the Bible actually teaches it. The Bible teaches that we need the Holy Spirit because He's actually the one who taught or teaches all the things that Jesus didn't get to teach. That's what Jesus said in John 14. He said, I've got a lot of things to tell you now, but you can't bear, or I have a lot of things to still tell you, but you can't bear them now. But and that's where the verse I just read came in. But the Holy Spirit will teach you all the things that come from me. So in other words, Jesus stopped his teaching ministry when he ascended back to earth. The Holy Spirit came down and picked up the baton and is still running with it. So my question is, are you listening to the teacher? It's an important question. Because if you're not, then you're listening to somebody else who doesn't have the truth. Or at least not enough of the truth. Here we go, John 16, 13, and 14. Y'all still with me? Yes. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but watch this, whatever He hears He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When Jesus was ministering on earth, he said to the disciples, I don't say anything and I don't do anything except what I see and hear the Father saying and doing. Did you know Jesus taught that? 
that Jesus in his earthly ministry said, I only say what the Father says to say, and I only do what the Father is doing. And then Jesus left, and look at what he's saying right here. He's saying, the Holy Spirit's going to take what I give him, and he's going to give it to you. So what we hear through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit, through legitimate prophetic revelation and illumination, is what Jesus is saying. But people, listen, if you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to discern whether or not it's from the Holy Spirit. Because how many of you know that not everybody says, well, the Holy Spirit told me to say, yeah, man. And then they come off with something that's antithetical to Scripture or so far out of left field. It wasn't too terribly long ago, I was in a service in a different place, and somebody walked up to me and said they had a word from the Lord for me. And the Bible tells me not to despise prophecy, but to test everything and hold to that which is good. So I let the word come, and it was so off the mark. It was, it was actually, I think, sent from the enemy. So I didn't panic. I didn't say, that's it. Prophetic words are not biblical. No, I said, this person got it wrong. God bless them. They were wrong. They made a mistake. How did I know that? Because I had the teacher with me. The teacher. And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit, one of his functions is the revealing work. He's doing that. And if we don't listen to him and how we need our Bibles, friends, my day, you have to know your Bible or you will never discern the accent of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13. I'm almost done. Y'all hang in there. These things God, this is probably the most important passage of this point. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And watch this. And we impart this. In words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's a beautiful set of verses I'd love to unpack, but I'm aware of the time. I'll say this in summarizing those verses I just read. The Holy Spirit reveals the deepest components of God because He is God. God the Spirit has come to give us an understanding of the nature, the will, and the activity of God. And these things will not rightly be learned unless they are imparted to us by God through the Spirit to those of us who are partakers of the Spirit. So in other words, there is a slight caution in this. The reason why some people can't receive spiritual truths is because they haven't been made spiritual yet. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. To them it, it's foolishness. It's in sense, I, I mean, do you remember even when Jesus was on earth and he was working miracles and the religious people said, that's not of God, that's of Satan. Do you remember that? That the work that God was doing, the religious spirit says, that can't be of God, that's probably of Satan. And that's the context where Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, wow. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is in the context of someone hardening their heart against what God was doing because they didn't think God worked that way. That is intense. There is a warning. I just feel that right now. There's just a warning in that. Keep your heart soft so that you can discern spiritual truths. And then the last thing, P-E-R-U, purifying, empowering, revealing, unifying. The Holy Spirit unifies. And we'll talk more about this at a different time, so I'm going to go quickly. Matter of fact, worship team, come on up, so I'll wrap this thing up. The Holy Spirit unifies. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's where Paul is launching off into his treatise on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he is saying we don't all have to have the same gifting, but we all do have the same Holy Spirit. 
So he's going to look differently when he works through me than he does through my wife. He's going to work through different temperaments in different ways. I believe that depending on where you've been in your walk with the Lord, you may be more apt for the Holy Spirit to work in you this way than perhaps maybe another way. And so he's not intimidated by our history. He's not intimidated by the fact that we may not have really pursued him for years and years and years in our relationship with God. He's not intimidated. He says, well, do you want to today? Do, Do you want to be active and animated and moving in this body where I unify all of the different people? Um, In Ephesians 4, last verse I'm going to use. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the Holy Spirit comes, and while we almost always kind of lean towards the, when somebody says the Holy Spirit was at church today, we almost never think of unity, right? We think of, you know, something sensationalized, something incredible, alarming, intense, and sensationalized. The Holy Spirit was there, you know. But one of the things that you'll know when the Holy Spirit is working, He's going to take very different people. He's going to say, come here. I love you. Come here. Come on. Let's walk over here together. And you, over here, come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Come on, you two. Y'all are so different. Y'all... Y'all are so different. Come here. And go ahead, touch. No, no, come on, come on, come on. Go ahead. One body, many parts. Holy Spirit said, man, I just sense them right now. He just brings us together. By the way, it said be patient with each other. Said, bear with one another. So that, that indicates that it's not a seamless, always easy process. As he's bringing us into the reality of our oneness, as he's, he's unfolding our union to become unity. Union is what we have in Christ. Unity is how we work that out. And so he's bringing us together and he says, now I want y'all to bear with each other. And I want y'all to be patient with each other. And I want y'all to be gentle with each other. I want you to be meek and kind to one another. And when I'm walking in the Spirit, that's actually easy to do. And when I'm walking in the Spirit with you, when you're walking in the Spirit, He's not going to lead us into opposing pathways. We're going to be walking parallel with each other. Purifying, empowering, revealing, and unifying. And there's not a soul in here who wouldn't stand up and say, I'm all for that.